Critics say the UK government's deficit reduction plans are too fast and too deep. While opinion polls show significant public support for Osborne's cuts package, analysts are divided on whether or not they will put the economic recovery at risk and worsen our debt problems in the long term. Some think there are alternatives. Michael Kitson is a senior lecturer in international macroeconomics at Cambridge University and a research associate of the Centre for Business Research at Cambridge Judge Business School. They are certainly not the only option. I think we need to disentangle a number of separate issues here. First of all, we have a budget deficit. uh, And that budget deficit has to be corrected at some point. So, So the question there is, how do you correct that budget deficit and when? So the first issue is a balance between, is it public expenditure cuts or is it increases in taxes or is it a combination of both? And when should you do it? And the concern about doing it too early in the recovery is that it will stall recovery. So that's one issue, the balance between taxation and expenditure and when to balance. The second issue that often gets conflated but is different is how big should the state be in a modern society? How big should government be? How big should be the public sector should be? And there we see very many contrasts across the developed world. Countries that have a relatively big sector and other countries that have a relatively small sector. But what we do see in all of these different economies is a trend for the public sector to expand as part of the economy for some very good reasons about the need for better education and better health. So there's two separate issues here. The difference between government expenditure and taxation and how to reconcile that difference when you have a deficit. So that's one issue. The second issue is the overall size of the state in the longer run. And that's another debate. So we've got two debates here and often they've been conflated into one, but two debates that should be considered on their individual merits. The first ministers of Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland have issued a joint declaration attacking the UK government's spending plans. Peter Robinson and Martin McGuinness in Northern Ireland have joined with the SNP's Alex Salmon and Carwin Jones of Labour in the Welsh Assembly. They say the approach to public spending reductions by the UK government runs the risk of delivering significant economic and social harm. They urge the UK government to reconsider its proposals. Kitson again of Cambridge Judge Business School. I wouldn't say it's a doomsday scenario, and that's a very black picture, but I think they have very sound arguments. They have very sound arguments that if we cut the deficit too early, we will hamper short-term growth, but also long-term prosperity. And the other important dimension to make here is that these impacts will be felt more acutely in certain regions of the UK, including the devolved administrations of Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales, as well as the northwest and the northeast. Again, we've seen over the past 20 or 30 years big regional divergences in prosperity. It's fine for us in the south and, and, and in London, we're, we're relatively prosperous areas, but far poorer areas in the north, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. And these parts of the economy are going to suffer even more if we see these public expenditure cuts kicking quickly. We're going to see a bigger growth of the north-south divide. And that's harmful not only for those regions, but it's harmful for economic and social stability throughout the country. But while the coalition leaders, Cameron and Clegg, exchanged jibes with Labour over its economic record and 13 years in government, Labour has defended its policy of good old Keynesian fiscal stimulus as a response to the crash. Kitson. 
I certainly do not think it's been discredited. If we look at the the causes of the recession, but particularly the policy response to the recession, many governments around the world, including the UK, including many European countries, including the United States, resorted to Keynesian means to ensure that that recession was not as deep and protracted as previous recessions. It's been a very sharp recession, but the reason it wasn't even deeper with more harmful effects on prosperity and unemployment was a Keynesian response. Governments took the responsibility to step in to try and manage the economy and try to get the economies out of recession. Keynesian economics was the, was the answer over the past two or three years. And I'm surprised that that answer has been lost. Those lessons, we often lose the lessons of history, but to lose the lessons of history for the last two or three years seems bizarre to me. Keynesian economics helped the recovery, helped the solve the problems or help to deal with the extent of the recession, it can also help to deal with the recovery, but it's been largely ignored. The Keynesian arguments are sound and robust and they should be taken into account. Now, the argument that we can somehow encourage regional growth, we can encourage growth of Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales by cutting the public expenditure is basically wrong-headed. We should, where the private sector, how is the private sector going to respond when the public sector contracts? We've got to remember that people are employed in the public sector generate wealth, as they do in the private sector. People are employed in education and health, our teachers, our doctors, our nurses, generate wealth and generate output. And what do they do with their wages they receive? They spend them, and they often spend them on firms in the private sector. Private sector prosperity also depends on a thriving public sector. The idea that you cut the public expenditure and cut the public sector and somehow the private sector will fill the gap just doesn't work. Double-dip recession. I think that we're going to have a very slow recovery, much slower recovery than we would have if the government took responsibility to help manage the economy more effectively and help to stimulate the economy. So it may not be double dip, but it may be a long and painful recovery. And as I emphasize, that means slow growth and a long-term slow path to recovery. But it also means we harm our long-term growth potential. We harm our long-term growth potential because during this period, we do not invest to develop new products new processes and new technologies. So the impact of this recession and slow growth will not only be felt now in the next couple of years, it will be felt in 10, 15 and 20 years. In the public sector, even budgets once thought of as protected, such as health, are now undergoing radical reform. And the hope is that not only business, but that the so-called big society will step in to help. But what exactly is that elusive big society? Helen Hall is Senior Lecturer in Community Enterprise at Cambridge Judge Business School. Well, I do think that the big society is a term that has captured people's imaginations because it does seem to represent what many people would want from society, that we are a, a nation of people that are willing to help each other. However, I do think there are some shortcomings in that the actual definition of what it is has, has yet to be clarified. And, and what do you understand working in social enterprise as the term big society to mean? If you were to cast your imagination, apply it to, to this term, what would you envisage happening at a grassroots level in communities? Well, the hope is that the big society will encourage people to become more involved in activities in their local communities, particularly in a, a time of recession when 
the private sector and the public sector is withdrawing from some activities, the expectation is that uh, individuals will become more involved and take on some of those responsibilities themselves. The health and education services might be thought of as a good place to kick off radical new ideas, like using volunteers to fill the gaps in provision left by the cuts, under the banner of Cameron's Big Society. But will there be enough volunteers? And what roles will they be able to perform? Hall of Cambridge Judge Business School again. Well, here I think there are some concerns because the theory, t the evidence tells us that people um, that volunteer tend to know somebody uh, who has got previous experience in volunteering. And so, you know, the usual picture is to think about, well, if, if your parents volunteer, then you're more likely to volunteer yourself. Now, that's all very well in some parts of society where there is a tradition of volunteering. But the big society, I think, is trying to encourage people who haven't got any experience of volunteering to become active participants in society. And there I see a really big challenge because there needs to be resources in place in order to encourage people to start volunteering. And the rewards from volunteering can be enormous, particularly in terms of intrinsic satisfaction. And I think, again, that plays into this notion of a big society because there doesn't seem to be much evidence that there will be any extrinsic rewards for people for volunteering. So will public service managers be able to make the cuts, motivate staff, outsource contracts and maintain organisational efficiency while at the same time using volunteers to replace professionally qualified paid-for staff? Whore again. Well, I think that this is the, the great hope about the big society, but the reality, I think, is going to be extremely difficult to implement. I mean, there are some jobs where people have uh, a lot of experience and a lot of training uh, prior to carrying out those jobs, and to, to simply think that the uh, big society will replace the provision of those services, I think, really calls into question how a strategy like that can actually be implemented. And might it not get quite litigious if you have volunteers going to schools, going to hospitals where people are sick, doing jobs, accidents happening, having no management? It, it, you know, it's not just chaos, but, but, but actually people will have to be responsible for the consequences of their work and their actions. Absolutely. And so actually thinking about the implementation uh, of the big society and the extent of participation and the roles that can feasibly be taken on by volunteers will need some really serious analysis in order to ensure that the services are delivered by people who are competently qualified to deliver them and also protected from, uh, just as you say, uh, litigation if a service isn't performed well. Um, and we can think about it in relation to the health service. Um, we could also think about it in relation to education and you know, policing. People generally want to have good quality services and the idea that those good quality services that are currently delivered by paid professionals can be uh, somehow taken on by volunteers really shows some gaps in thinking about the implementation strategy. With unions planning action to oppose the cuts, protect jobs, pensions and prevent volunteers from taking over salaried roles, human resource departments will find their tasks increasingly complex. Philip Stiles is co-director of the Centre for International Human Resource Management at Cambridge Judge Business School. I think the human resource department will be uh, busier than ever in times 
uh, such as these. I think um, often the HR department is seen to uh, add value in terms of how it achieves cost-cutting and how it, um, how it tries to achieve efficiencies. And I think so their, their agenda now is more important than ever. I think given the scale of the cuts, potentially, um, HR could be um, inundated uh, with work. The only difficulty for them, of course, is this really plays to the prejudice of HR, which is often about just administration or efficiency rather than effectiveness. Will they, um, if you like, be resourced? Will they need more people to go through these changes? These are huge structural changes that public sector organisations are going to have to go through. Well, I agree. I think often the HR department is not immune to these changes and very very often they themselves will be subject to cuts uh, which will really um, reduce their capacity to to make good or even um, valuable decisions. I know in a number of companies, HR departments are being cut themselves and services being outsourced. So I think HR is in a difficult bind in, in trying to both effect change through the cuts, but also be the recipient of change themselves. So is there a right and wrong way of motivating staff in times of adversity? And what if staff have to be made redundant? Styles of Cambridge Judge Business School again. Well, I, I think two things here. One is the effect on people who are, who are cut themselves. And of course, that's a tragedy for them. And very often they, they are being cut in an environment where other sectors of the of the um, of the economy are seeing, um, for example, um, bonuses being given, say in banking, and so there's a, there's a feeling of unfairness on the part of people who are being cut. But for the survivors, how they how they manage and how they are motivated is, of course, very difficult. And I think a couple of things are, are, are key here. One is, um, can can the survivors see a way forward? Is there some sense of hope for the organisation, rather than it just being a survival uh, strategy? And, um, and second, do they feel that leadership and, and particularly in HR is, is still credible um, given the scale of the cuts that may be inflicted upon them? Human resource managers and departments in the public sector have daunting challenges ahead in the next year. Are they up to the job? Styles. I, I think there's, there's a very interesting turn at the moment, uh, particularly say in the UK. Uh, over the last 20 years there's been a real decline in union force and membership and over the last say six months or or certainly since the uh, financial crisis there's been a sort of uptake in in union strength and one sees examples say at british airways or even further afield uh, internationally in china and in the u.s of the kind of resurgence of unions and i guess their strength is now is now becoming more and more important as um as we see examples of people being let go in companies where it seems arbitrary and rather um, rather cruel. Do you think that actually there will be a undu- industrial unrest? And, and isn't too much change too quickly counterproductive to organisations and organisational efficiency? I, I think there is a potential knee-jerk reaction for many companies when faced with difficulties of this kind, which is first to look for staff cuts, because often staff costs are the most significant part of their budgets. I think smarter companies tend to not go for the knee-jerk reaction, look for other, other efficiencies before they start to take workers out. And, of course, the difficulty with taking workers out at this stage in big numbers is 
you know, fears of double-dip recession and, and you know, will the companies ever really recover, um, particularly in terms of lost skills, lost capabilities and lost knowledge? Will they? <laughs> um, Does it actually mean that if you're in a culture, an organisational culture in the public sector or private sector of cutbacks, d- does it mean that it will, if you like, lead to a loss of efficiency, a loss of productivity that you won't be able to cater to your consumers? I think that there is a real danger. I mean, I think if, if you say, take a look at, um, uh, say, cuts in, in, in significant services like prisons or in um, childcare, um, I mean, it, it, it does look like a lot of these services now will have to run almost on, almost on empty, I think. And even those staff who keep their jobs will, of course, be, be, be thankful for that. Nevertheless, I think their motivation and their morale will, will be in, you know, increasingly affected as they, as, they, as they see that actually the levels of resource they have are just not enough to deliver the services that people need. If large bureaucratic public sector organisations such as the health service and local councils are to be slimmed down and their work hived off to businesses large and small, will those new jobs help to restore growth or will growth depend on the health of the economy more generally? Kitson of Cambridge Judge Business School once more. I think I'm very concerned about the impact of these public expenditure cuts on first on two main areas here. First of all, on the recovery, as we talked about, will it generate recovery? I think it may harm recovery. So the recovery from the recession may be harmed by our focus on cutting the deficit too early. The second thing, which is often missed from the debate now, is that a big is that a significant recession and slow growth now can have harmful effects in the long term. It can harm our prosperity in 10 and 15 and 20 years' time. It can harm the prosperity not only for us, but also our children, because we have a slower-growing economy. Firms are not investing. They're not replacing plant and machinery. They're not investing in new technologies. It's very difficult for firms to develop new technologies and innovate because they can't raise finance. So it's not only about slow growth now. It's about long-term growth. And if the recovery is stalled, if we do not get out of the recovery quickly, it's going to harm the long-term growth and prosperity of our economy. So I'm very concerned about these cuts, and these cuts may harm recovery and long-term growth. I also find the arguments that we need to have these cuts now to reassure financial markets, to reassure the ratings agencies, and to reassure these, ag- these organisations that were not like Greece or Portugal and Spain as being rather feeble arguments. Now, our situation is nowhere near like these economies. In, t- in the longer term, if you take a long-term perspective, we've been able to fund budget deficits much larger than this. We are a very prosperous country. We are a country with a lot of accumulated wealth since the Industrial Revolution. We can pay these budget deficits. We can finance them in the short run. And we shouldn't make these bogus arguments that we should be in the thrall to a few financial markets and teenage scribblers in rating agencies. These, these, are, these are not sound arguments. Our economy is large, our economy is rich, we can fund the deficits and we should fund them now to ensure recovery but also to ensure long-term growth and prosperity for our children. The Independent Office for Budget Responsibility has said it predicts sustainable growth as a result of the government's cuts and the President of the World Bank praised them as courageous, important and wise. Only time will tell who's right. The jury is out.